Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So it's a really wet and windy, horrible day down here in Brighton, just at the end of April. And today I've had something that's just absolutely brightened up my whole day working from home. And that was talking to David Wolanski and Carl Clark of Chick In and Chick In Sours. Really great to talk to them, much wider than just talking about the business and their achievements and their career. We talk about music meditation, kindness in business, and really importantly, what's next for them, their people, and their brands. So it gives me the most clucking, clucking pleasure ever to have two very good friends on the podcast today, which is David and Carl of Chick and Sours and Chick In. Hello. Hi. Hello. It's great to have you on, and, and thanks so much for doing this. So, just at the moment, you know what what is going on at the moment with you know your business, how you're feeling, what you're up to, all that kind of thing. Well, uh, chicken sours is firmly on pause at the moment. All three of our restaurants are closed, and we are going to start building back up again. Probably to start doing delivery from our Haggerston restaurant. But, I mean, the other two, Spitalfields and Seven Dials, are in kind of central London and very high office, densely populated areas, lots of tourists. I can't see that coming back anytime soon. So we're um, kind of taking stock, uh, doing the best that we can, looking after our people, doing a bit of work, feeding the NHS with our sister company, The Recipe, which is an event catering company I've got, and just kind of taking stock of where we are. And then uh, Chicken is looking to get back in the game next week, hopefully. We're looking to uh, reopen Baker Street and get on the delivery platforms again and start feeding Londoners with some next level fried chicken again. Nice. And what about you, Carl? What have you been up to? Well, um, I'm just um, coming to the end of writing my first book. Um, coming out in the autumn so that, that that's been a journey so i'm grateful for the time to have done that and um yeah it's been pretty amazing really because it's been quite an immersive relationship whereby you know i've been a lot more involved in the design of, of it as well um than i would have been in my normal busy life um i'm just about to launch a new um brand um in in the midst of all this which is which has been um good fun um which is a fully nutritional instant noodle that um, is hopefully going to go on to feed a lot of um, needy, vulnerable people in the UK first, and then let's see what happens after that. So, and then working really as well, you know, on a bit of strategy for chicken behind the scenes, ready to reopen next week for takeaway and delivery, um, finishing off um, the interiors 
of Islington, um, getting that ready to open as well. And yeah, working with David on Chicken Sours and just a couple of other creative um, kind of platforms that I that I sit, sit on as well. And just looking at really kind of as well, you know, how are people going to behave at the end of this? Like, you know, what's important? What problems are there to solve? Like at the end of this, outside of the food world, you know, what problems are there to solve in the world? How are people going to buy things? How are people going to behave? And that's been quite interesting, you know, and um, doing a lot of meditating, mate, to be honest with you. Doing a lot of work on myself, a lot of meditation. And um, yeah, just taking each day as it comes, one day at a time, right? Not living in the fear. What, what are you using for meditation? Are you guiding yourself or have you got an app or something? Well, I, I kind of practice Vipassana, which is a, which is a you know, a practice of meditation, um, which is a two-hour-a-day practice. So I went to Thailand in um, January and did a 10-day silent retreat. And it's, um, it's a form of, it's a Buddhist practice, but it's non-religious. So um, I practice, um, yeah, twice a and, um, it's a way of life, really. You know, it's a way of life. Yeah, what is it? Um, if you if you can't spare half an hour to do meditation, you should do two hours or something like that, isn't it? That's <laughs> well, it's the only time in the day when you don't have to think about anything, yeah. and um, you know, it's a great way to. It's been a great, a very powerful thing to kind of like guide me through many things, and especially through this through this period because you know I was for four weeks, you know, in my flat with my cat, quite living, working, training you know, in one place was quite taxing, but like, you know, it kind of gets you in touch with yourself. Like, you know, it, it deals with all that loneliness and stuff like that, you know, and I think, you know, without getting too hippie about it or like, you know, if you're in touch with yourself, then, then you're not really lonely, right? You can be lonely around people. So just create space in my mind and uh, space to think about things in a different way and not, um, not react, you know, to remain kind of economist, you know, neither excited nor low nor high, just, just gives you space to be able to look at things differently in yeah. business and also in life. And um, yeah, think less about yourself, right? And by doing that, you know, you're, you're, you're inadvertently doing good for others, which is a good thing to do, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're doing anything with love and kindness and, you know, in meta is a good thing, obviously, and, and hopefully yeah. we'll more of that in business due to everything that's happened. Yeah, it's incredible. I think like, I was thinking the other day, I did a lot of reflection, and I think, like, you know, the world, it doesn't need any more successful people, right? Yeah. Done. What yeah. it does, it needs people that, 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 you know, that care, you know. It needs healers, preachers, lovers, like people that want to do good in the world, the planet. And really, actually, now, I'm not actually going to do anything else that's not, that, that's, that, that's not like that. Because I think, like, success, right, if, if you put those things out there, it manifests itself in many different ways, whatever that means to you, right? Whatever that you, know, I'm not saying it's not good to make money, right? It's okay as long as it's conscious money, right? As long as that money's doing good. But it's kind of like, yeah, it's been a huge, a huge kind of like time of reflection. You know, what does life mean to me now? What am I doing? You know, what are the things I'm doing? Are they meaningful? You know, and yeah, it's been incredible. I've been grateful for the time, to be honest. It's um, it's been challenging at times, but you know, I have this mantra like we grow through pain, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's that. Nice. No, a bit big into it myself. So no, I, I, I appreciate cool. what you're saying. Definitely, definitely. Um, so going back then to getting into hospitality and how you got the bug and how you get into it, because I know you were doing various things before that as well. Yeah, well, I'm quite the accidental chef, mate, to be honest with you. You know, I kind of like, I did this out of necessity. 
um you know as a kid there weren't much options like going to jail or um going to, you know or, or or getting a job and my old lady said to me one day you know broad irish you know you'd be a hairdresser i was like fuck that <laughs> be a chef and i'm like well whatever because you get a job for life right yep. so then kind of like you know i i bumbled my way through and um anyway it's a long story but um yeah you know and then you know back in the day i went to work for a guy called marco pierre white and really that's where you know the journey started but like you know i i kind of stopped picking like in the 90s i, I, I you know i was a dj you know I, I, was, I was making music for like over 10 years you know i was resident in terminals in london and um went on to kind of um went on to party for 10 years mate you know really make music party live that 90s lifestyle and then um kind of got back into it um towards the end of the of the 90s um and that's really where the kind of like you know the passion came much later you know initially it was it was out of necessity to kind of eat and, and keep myself out of trouble you know i hated it to be honest you know and uh, I, I much preferred playing records and getting paid for it and passing right so it was a really it was a short, sharp shock when I had to kind of know I dried up and I had to go back to doing it. But um, yeah, you know, I learned how to cook properly and then, you know, went through various, you know, did various things um, around the world and um, found my way, found my way through really and found my own passion for, 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 for cooking and, and, and eventually my own style, um, which I think everybody does on this journey. And I think it's, it's at that point, right, when you actually stop cooking for other people and actually like you know start cooking food that you enjoy and um, customers enjoy like then um, then it kind of makes sense and you feel connected to it right yeah cooked in fear for so many years right yeah like total fear just like uh, yeah teach you good skills but uh but not <laughs> but not very kind right no. <laughs> oh, i was a bit of a fucking i was a horrible fucker for a long time you know from Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors, and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top. And please say that I sent you. Yeah, what were you doing? Well, mine's slightly different to Carl's. I mean, I was born and bred in, in London, which is uh, quite unique for people working in the hospitality industry. I mean, throughout my career, people always say to you, where are you from? No, London. Like, no, no, not where you live. Where are you from? Like, no, London. Like, what? <laughs> are you in the hospitality industry? Oh, yeah, yeah, true that. 
No, I I got a bug for hospitality when I went up to university in Leeds. I, I wasn't planning to go to uni. I went travelling for a bit. Then all my mates were up at uni, so I went up there to see them. I thought, oh, this is good. This is a good life. So I managed to drag myself onto a course, which was hospitality management. And did it right. Really enjoyed it. Got stuck in, did a placement with um, all by one who was with Bass at the time. And then um, in my final year at uni, she started writing letters to Michelin-style restaurants in London saying, I've just finished uni, I want to come and work. If you look back at it now, it seems such a funny thing to do. But I got a response from Lescargo and um, went down there, met the GM, and started work at Lescargo restaurant, which was kind of my kind of introduction into the real world of hospitality doubles back-to-back doubles it was all fun house not in the kitchen i loved um, making people happy and giving them amazing experiences and it was in that time where i kind of fell in love with the industry uh you get people coming in on a special occasion coming from out of town they wouldn't be that comfortable in a michigan style restaurant but immediately you'd be able to put them at ease okay, don't worry i got you just relax and you could see that immediate impact that you can have on people's evenings and yeah i just fell in love with that so i continued on that journey um the next step was uh i opened up i got a bit fed up with fine dining and uh lost my job there after having a bit of an altercation with one of our sommeliers but then managed to open a sandwich bar in soho with a good friend of mine who's called cafe soho it was brilliant. I had a great time. Um, after a few years, I just wanted to keep pushing on. Uh, sold my bits to him. And then with my brother, we set up an event catering business called uh, The Recipe, which is still going now. Uh, it's been going probably about 12 years or so. We do kind of high-end, private and corporate catering in and around London in the UK. And it was there that... Uh, our MD there, a guy called John Stockton, knew Jonathan Downey vaguely, I'm not sure how actually. And JD came to John and said, We're doing, we've been given a space at Latitude and we want to do a pop up restaurant of my restaurant called Giant Robot, which at the time was a restaurant in Parkerwell. Mm-hmm. And can you give us a hand setting it up? And we were like, Yeah, of course. And we went down there helped him set it up and it was it was his team who were running it but we gave him some operational and logistics support and then one day i think it was the saturday suddenly this dude steps in on the pass because the guy who was running the pass was let's just say in a bit of a pickle and uh this guy steps in and goes move over mate goes right check on there's about 20 checks on the pass and that was carl and Carl had been invited down there by JD, I think, for a potential group chef job within JD's organisation. And Carl and I just hit it off and spent the rest of the weekend doing what you do at festivals, having a great time, and came up with loads of hair-brained ideas to do pop-up restaurants and all sorts of things. And it was actually there on the way home we came up with the idea for something called Disco Bistro which was going to be a one-stop shop. It's where you could go, 
arrive, have some cocktails and some snacks and sit down, have a meal. I remember talking about it. It was kind of the British seasonal small plates. And that was, God, nearly 10 years ago or something now. Um, and you'd have a meal, then it would have some live music, then it would just kick off into a wicked club. But then we realised you needed millions of pounds to do this. So I continued running the recipe. Carl was uh, making a name for himself. And kind of, not the street food scene, but there was this whole amazing scene emerging through kind of street feast and these food competitions and Burger Monday and JD did like the chili off and all these sort of things. And Carl was just smashing. And we started doing loads of pop-ups together. First one was called Rock Lobster, which was a pop-up lobster roll bar in our mate's shop in Shoreditch, just on a little annex of their shop. And then we went on to do the English Laundrette. The English Laundrette was a bit of a piss tank when Thomas Keller came over and was doing his uh, French laundry pop-up on the rooftop of Harrods for 500 quid a head. So we did the English Laundrette in a friend of ours' uh, studio in Shoreditch where it was 50 quid a head and we did. Carl came up with an incredible menu of old school classics like uh, cheese and pineapple but it was uh, foraged pineapple wheat that he turned into a jelly with a goat's cheese panna cotta it, it was real fun we had Millie Vanilli pushing a dessert trolley around and then God Save the Clam which was a rooftop clam bake with a guy from Pick Q over the uh, Queen's Jubilee and then, then the next thing Carl did you was that when they were pub over yeah, and then I went off and did um, a um, like a residency over the over a pub in St Paul's um, called the Rising Sun, an old boozer, an Irish pub, and uh, yeah, that was incredible fun. Um, two of my friends actually, and um, we were all out of pretty pretty good kitchens, you know. I think um, Pat and Glyn at the Roganic, and you know I've, I've been doing a bit at Roganic as well. And uh, yeah, we bought a few tables and chairs, and uh, got a few couple of couple of Irish builders out of the pub, and, <laughs> and put a restaurant in this room, and um, for, for, for 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 the no money that we had, and um, had a lot of fun over the next six months. You know, um, um, yeah, made a bit of noise, <clears throat> um, and cooked some great food there. You know, and, and really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed ourselves. Uh, you know, I think. I think then we got asked to do, um, so that the name of that was Disco Bistro. And then we got asked to by uh, Argent, who run King's Cross, uh, or pretty much King's Cross now, all of it, to do a pop up. Like they were doing a roller disco. And they asked us to do the food and drink. And we did that, smashed it, had a great time. And Carl had, um, I think at that time, Carl was doing something with JD over the rotary. And he, him and Glyn had absolutely nailed nailed this kind of fried chicken brining and coating and obsessed over it and we thought it was about time we wanted to open something ourselves so there was a little strip in Haggerston where there was just Rotorino was the only restaurant on there it was just set back and we thought we loved that little strip because I think it was called the Haggerston Waste not much was happening there at the time and we posted letters through letterboxes uh, said to people with two blokes, just want to open up our first little bricks and mortar place. If you're looking to get out of your business, give us a shout. And we got a phone call from a Turkish guy called Ali and went and met him, shook hands, and 
that was it. The deal was done, and we had our first restaurant. So we begged, stole, and borrowed, and did the whole thing up ourselves with the help of a friend called Camilla, who's got a company called The Mint List, who does amazing design and sources loads of fantastic bits and pieces. And yeah, Chicken Sours in Haggerston was born. A very simple operation, which we look back on very fondly, very simple menu. And Carl was in the kitchen. I was running front of the house. The lights were low, the tunes were loud, food was banging, and it was just a fantastic place to be. And what about the sour cider things? Were you just thinking, you know, you want to big up the drink cider things as well? or? Yeah, I think I, you know, I got exposed to all that while working, you know, obviously with JD. And, um, you know, I think I remember just kind of like being at the Rotary and kind of, I never really understood. I don't think I'd engaged in that kind of thing, um, you know, the art of bartending or anything. And, and they were incredible. I, I mean, you know, just, I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, the skill that I saw and the kind of, you know, the thought process and, you know, behind the drinks. And not only that, but the actual tending of the bar. It just blew me away. <clears throat> and, it, you know, I kind of identified it with the same kind of Michelin standard of putting food on a plate and the preparation. I was like, this is incredible, man. Like, you know, I just want to know more about this stuff. Like, you know, it's like, um, yeah, you know, this is just a whole new world. And I, and I think that's where I kind of got an interest in in that side of it and thought, you know, if we could bring, you know, when we did chicken sours, it's kind of like, there's a guy called Sam at work there who, who would love. And, um, you know, I'd very much always be kind of like, you know, challenging Sam, Sam, what about this? Make this, you know, mate, what's, what's this like? And, and we just got on and, and it just made sense. And um, I just wanted to kind of do something that went alongside the fried chicken, but not as serious. That was like just great fun. You know, great colourful drinks, great fun, guzzlers, easy drinking, but well thought out and with, with, with providence behind them, right? And then take some of that, you know, that bartending kind of like hospitality behind that small bar as well. You know, you sit down, get a glass of water, the bartender's got some good kind of chat when it's needed. It was just kind of like something that I was really interested in and could see marrying up with, 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 with both, with, you know, with fried chicken so I could juxtaposition, right? You know what I mean? And um, and that's and that style of bartending and, and the love that went into those drinks. So um, the yeah. sours, yeah, the sours came from. I think it was it was fried chicken in its nature is quite a fatty food, and we wanted something that could just cut through the richness of it. So it was kind of the sours and the fried chicken just went so well together. I mean, what did you say, Carl? Like salt and vinegar. Yeah, it's like cheese and onion. You know, it's one of those things. Salt and vinegar. I think. Um, yeah, they're just easy, easily drank, and um, we put them in half pint jugs, and uh, they look great and good fun. They make you smile, right? You know, that's what they're meant to do. They make they make you smile. You know, not to be taken too serious, and um, and have to think about it too much. So well, that's what that was. What chicken sales was all about, or is all about, is doing something that's perceived not to be that high end, let's say, but um, doing it to the best that you possibly can being proud of what you're doing even though it's fried chicken and just blowing away people's expectations people will walk down the street in Haggerston and go what is this little job and walk in you know what on earth is this and we'd have mix and match cutlery we just bought for, and crockery we just bought from the charity shop and the whole place was just put together with no money but by ourselves and people would leave high-fiving us wearing chicken sales tattoos and just having a great time and back into the streets. And that's what it was all about, just giving people an amazing 
personal experience that um, they weren't necessarily expecting. And then off the back of that, it was interesting because we managed to secure a second site. Um, Shaftesbury um, put their faith in us in this tiny little place on Earlham Street. It was a clothes shop at the time and had no premium. We had no money for any premium or anything like that. We turned it into a restaurant. But it was strange when we opened the second one. Off the back of the success of the first one, people came with very different expectations. Because in Haggerston, no one had any expectations. They'd come in, have a brilliant time, and we knock it out of park. And then you have to change your mindset a bit because people are coming expecting it to be this out-of-body experience of fried chicken. You know, so it's a real change of how you need to approach things. Well, I think it's living up to the hype, isn't it? And that a good example, um, you know, is maybe someone like Red's uh, True Barbecue. And when they were when they came to London, they did a pop-up which was at the top floor of is it the old blue last? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and you went up and you know, and it was tiny, there was maybe I don't know, 20 people could get in at tops. It was you were lucky to get in. And and I think you just built it up in your mind and you look like you're walking into some kind of crack then or something. Um and then once the sort of demand equaled the supply or actually the supply was more than the demand and there was the, the big unveiling of the big restaurant and, and you know and all the rest of it. It yeah, it, it was hard to live up to. You know, it's almost like a new Star Wars movie or something, or the you know, the third Stone Roses album that never happened. You know, it's like in your mind you're just building it up to being this, you know, huge thing. And it, it can be quite a, a hard trick to pull off, you know, because people have built it up too much. Interesting. Fried chicken is fried chicken to to get right is a very hard thing to do. There's so many variable factors in it. And we always say that you're only as good as your last piece of chicken because to stay on top of your game, you have to work so hard. You know, you're getting a, a raw ingredient that is deteriorating for the moment you've got it. You have to treat it with such care and you brine it and you blanch it and you flour it and you're cooking it and you're making sure that every element of it is perfect, but also coupling that together with the vibe that you're creating within the restaurant and the people that we're employing to deliver the product and deliver the experience. No one said restaurants is an easy game, but you've got to love it. I think as well, like Mark, to your point, um, I think, um, you know, I'm a believer in that kind of like some things don't travel, right? So you go somewhere, it's in this cool little room, like, you know, it's got, it's got the vibe. Can you take that vibe with you to a bigger place? Maybe not. So your experience first time around is not your experience second time around, right? And and, and the vibe totally changes that, you know, the all-important kind of, you know, food's important, right? But it's not the be and end all, right? Mm. It's um it's part of the experience and especially around the younger generations now, like the Gen Z, it's an experiential thing. And I think, yeah, you know, you you bought into the whole experience, not just the food. You know, the vibe's great. The food can be kind of okay, but you yeah. just want to be there, right? Yeah. Uh, so because it's the place to be and it feels good and the energy's good, and then these, you know, then this this thing that you loved goes to a much bigger space. Um, it just doesn't quite fit, and no matter what you do, it doesn't quite fit, and it doesn't start. Then it starts not to work. Um, even if the food's great, everything's great, just something doesn't click. 
And I think yeah, that's, we've, we've that, seen that, that, that can very easily kind of um, that can very easily happen, right? Yeah, we saw that, and uh, we'll be totally honest, we saw that with our when we went from Haggerston to Seven Dials, people were like, Oh, Seven Dials is you're in the center of town from going from East London, it doesn't feel the same, but we believe that Haggerston and Seven Dials have still got that intimacy about it and a slightly kind of chaotic uh speed and energy that makes chicken sales what it is but then we opened a restaurant in islington and it was much bigger and it's a beautiful restaurant we like it is, it's absolutely stunning but it didn't feel like a chicken sales because there was too much space it was a bit too bright it was a bit too big so yeah i can understand when things don't translate into a bigger space it's not always it's not always right is it hi alex from engage here and thanks for tuning in to the supersonic marketing podcast each week we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing and this week's comes from shri a head of seo who gives his expert insight into dealing with seasonality as we're all acutely aware seasonality is a big part of the hospitality industry We want to continually attract customers around key events every year. Think Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day and Christmas. Ideally, we want to be found for these terms every year, but we often see that these pages aren't set up correctly. The key is to use the same URL every single year and simply update the content. Don't create new pages each time and avoid using the year in your URL. So URL stuff for Valentine's would be Valentine's Day, instead of Valentine's Day 2020, to give an example. You should still mention the year in the content title and description to capture those search queries, though. If you do need to archive seasonal content, then move the old content to a new URL, Valentine's Day 2019, for example. This will keep the focus on your main page that you want to rank. If you need help getting your brand more visible online and the edge on your competition, simply head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with their own high-performance digital marketing strategies. Cheers, and enjoy the rest of the episode. And what about bestsellers? Yeah, it's interesting, because we've just done, we've just, well, with this downtime, done a lot of work on our sales mix, about to send over to Carl to discuss. But our top-selling items are pretty much the items that have been on the menu since day one. K-pop is outsells absolutely everything else on our menu. The wings, hot wings, the original recipe from day one outsells everything else. We pickled watermelon salad and the Szechuan aubergine we put on at the beginning and no intention to keep them on forever. But if we took them off, people would kick off massive. It's quite a tricky thing to, you know, to sacrifice those. You know, if, you know, sometimes you've just got to kind of leave them on there. And I did a video with someone lately who who um, sort of writes menus and helps people with their menus, um, more on a tone of voice side of things. And, yeah, there was definitely a, a bit of killing babies going on for some of the... Uh, I listened to that. I listened to that, actually, when I was going for a run the other day, the thing with Anakin, yeah? Yeah, that's it. And it was, it was really interesting, really interesting. I actually sent it on to Carl afterwards, and it made me think about how to approach our menu because our menu's got bigger and bigger as we've grown. We just felt that was what you need to do, add more things. But now we're taking this time, we're just going to strip it right back and just go back to what people want. Yeah, no, it was a 
just full of great advice that video it was it was a real good one and then what about the, the branding and marketing side of things then you know you've got a really distinctive brand distinctive colorways actually distinctive language that is just you guys on a page um, so, you know, how did you go about that? Did you hire people or was it self-done or what happened there? Chicken salads, we've never really hired anyone to do any branding at all. But then when we opened chicken, which Carl made, I don't know if you want to explain what the difference between chicken and chicken salads. Um, yeah, so um, chicken is, 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 is basically a QSR business. So like, you know, fast food. So we have a term called future fast foods, but it has all the same kind of provenance, right? You know, everything's cooked to order. It's five minutes to check. The flavor profiles are kind of like in line with chicken salads, you know, a little bit kind of like maybe 20% and lower, more of a commercial prospect. Yeah. Um, so it's got, kind of like, it's the kind of like, you know, the commercial version of what we do at Chicken Sours. That was always the kind of vision. How can we bring this to to a wider, more appealing audience? Um, you know, that's um, a time poor that love fried chicken. And what can we do? What problems are there to solve on the high street in fried chicken, you know, around social responsibilities, around provenance, around kind of, you know, what's exciting flavors and stuff and it's been a real learning curve you know, you know it's, been, it's, it's, it's been a journey and a half you know we, we got it totally wrong at the beginning and uh, you know um, for many reasons i don't really want to go into those but um you know i'm grateful for the mistakes that we make because that's how we learn you know and and um yeah i think um now the brand has manifested itself into something that represents us you know it's got a great tone of voice you know it appeals to a wide genre of people from the Gen Z cool people. He's got a great audience, you know, and um, we are a very inclusive brand, right? We want to feed everybody, you know, and everybody's welcome, you know, and um, we have a, we have a voice and we like to um, talk about the things that we like and we like to say when we're good and we also like to say when we're bad. We're very truthful and transparent and we always will be. Um, we can always get better at things, but we're very, you know, we're very kind of, um, we want to be transparent with, with our customers and the community about our path and how we're going to do that and how we're going to get there. Um, yeah, and it's evolving, you know, it, it's, it's evolving from the, the look and feel It's getting there. Um, you know, the, um, yeah, it, it, it's evolving all the time and it, it, it's such a joy to, to, to be on that journey and it's, it's a different a different kind of like energy um you know and a different prospects you know i love it there's no chefs in the business um you know it doesn't need to be everything is kind of like the process is great but what's important is what i needed to do i didn't need people to be chefs or learn how to cook just needed them to care and learn what's right from wrong so it's basically like you know, it's almost like 95 percent attitude and a five percent ability the other way around i can't work with you in anything really you know so it's kind of like incredible people that work in that business and, um, you know, that drive it day in and day out. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just beautiful to be able to give those opportunities to, to, to you know, people that want to work in the business and grow with it. And, um, yeah, it's just a joy. It's got a bit of a celebrity following as well. I was listening to you. <laughs> yeah. John, Johnny Vaughan, I think, is, 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 is like number one fan. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, I think we'll hear more from Johnny Vaughan. Um, but yeah, it's it's getting there, man. You know, we're very modest. You know, you know, it's like you know, we do our best, right? You know, what I mean, that's all we can do. We're human. You know, we make mistakes, and that's what, that's okay. You know, 
but we'll learn from those mistakes. You know, we don't get it right every day. And, uh, you know, it, no. the, the way it's presented, the font, the branding, the, it's just lovely. You know, it's really, really well done. And I think, you know, hopefully, you know, coming out the back of this period that we're in, you know, you're, you're going to win because people are going to be thinking about, A, you know, what did you do for the wider world? How did you treat your people? But also, where where's the good stuff? You know, where's the ingredients coming from? You know, and all that, and the, and the hygiene and the, 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 the supply chain and the provenance. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's it's just there for the taker, isn't it? It's, it's so well set up for huge success. Yeah. I think, like, you know, for, for chicken, it's like, you know, it grows. You want to build a tribal brand, right? It's yeah. not just go, right? You know, you want people to live it and, and love it, you know, and, and um, you know, feel that they're, it's their place, right? You know, at the end of the day. And, that, and that, that's how you grow the culture. You know, we've got loads of fun stuff to do that we're going to do. And, um, you know, I'm a big believer in, like, experiential outsells, everything else, 10 to 1, right? Yeah. Uh, come in many ways. But, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just, um, just building that tribal brand and just kind of, like, connecting with people the right way, right? The right generation in the right way. And, um, you know, I'm grateful that kind of like, you know, got a kind of a way into the ton of so, so many creative illustrators, you know, graphic designers. And, you know, I share a space with these people and introduce to new people all the time. So I'm, I'm learning every day, you know, and I see things and things excite me when I see new things. Right. And, you know, I, I kind of like want to take a different lens on, on this brand outside of food right because you know, it's kind of yeah that's what we do that's what we have to do day in and day out and it has to be brilliant day in and day out however the brand can talk to a whole heap of different people in different ways you know it's um yeah you know we can align to fashion we can align to fashion brands we can do what we want and i think um you know that's that that's how that's how we'll grow and also keep the culture with us right because it's kind of like you know you grow so fast, the culture stays behind you, right? And you're already ahead. You can't catch up. And that's where it kind of goes wrong, you know? And just maintaining that and, and um, having fun, man. That's it. You know, just having fun. I don't want to do anything else that, that isn't fun anymore. Like, you know, it doesn't bring joy. And um, that's what it's all about, really. You know, we have a simple mantra, like, you know, you just want to be the best, want to be the guys that make the best fried chicken sandwich on the planet, right? <laughs> that's it. Are we, are we there yet? No. Nah. Probably not. You know, some days, I don't know. We're constantly innovating, you know. Don't stop, you know. I can't, you know. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm a bit of a science geek when it comes to food. Like, you know, it may look simple, but it's been a hell of a lot of work going on in the background, exhausting to the point where, like, you know, I want to switch my head off. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of like, it's great. We're always learning. We're always we're always innovating. We never stop. And I don't want to stop, right? You know, you stop it, if you stop innovating, you know, if you don't make mistakes, right, you, you, you don't learn. And then, you know, and then if you don't learn, then you're not innovating. And if you stop innovating, you're dead in the water as a brand. And that's what happens in so many kind of brands, right? They just stop innovating. They just can't do it anymore. You know, they, they just don't have the kind of, you know, the foresight or the kind of like what's going on out there or kind of like, you know, they just lose sight. They're bound by corporate structure as well. And they just get stuck focusing on the things that aren't important that actually, you know, What's important is just keeping one step ahead of the game, keeping the people on their toes, keeping keeping your customers excited about what's going to drop next, you know, trying to give them an insight into Carl's crazy mind of what amazing creations are coming next. And otherwise, it's just, you know, 
paralysis by analysis. I think um, I think Mother have done an incredible, incredible job on KFC. Like you know, yeah. turn around and to to a kind of like you know an urban Gen Z focused brand with the photography stuff they do on Insta is incredible when they brought the kernel back to life, you know, but that costs money, right? We haven't got any, we don't have a marketing <laughs> budget, right? We would just kind of make this stuff up at the moment as we go along and do our best, you know, but I think they did an incredible job, like, you know, and I think, um, yeah, you know, the future's exciting, you know, maybe we'll get a bit of money to kind of like do some marketing. We got, we do this thing called Chick Fest and it's kind of like cool. Which, yeah, at the moment we do a couple of little gatherings and we invite, you know, regulars down and stuff when we're doing something launch and we, we you know we put up some new stuff for them and have a bit of fun give them a bottle of sauce and whatever and get some and actually it's to get some kind of like you know feedback from them they're our early adopters right you know they're the people that matter they're the people that's gonna actually gonna be brutally honest with us you know and um but we had if we did it for fun we had this vision like you know it's kind of like chick fest bigger than glastonbury like you know so eventually we have this fried chicken festival like but um yeah we'll see we'll see what happens from supersonic inc this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Supersonic Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by Atenzi, the world's leading gamified simulation training provider. Even before the COVID-19 crisis, a LinkedIn study found that more than half of learning and development professionals were looking at remote learning solutions. Given hospitality's new reality, how do you plan to train your staff to accelerate your business out of these tough times? With Atenzi's gamified simulation training, you can accurately recreate the situations and environments that your people will face day in, day out to engage and rapidly develop their abilities. Forget static e-learning, dusty training manuals and passive videos and embrace training's new era with Atenzi. Find more information and get started today at attenzi.com forward slash restaurants. How do you think you've got that cult following? You know, is that is that just happened naturally by you just plowing on or has there been anything special you've done to create that? I think a lot of it has come down to honesty. Yep. You know, we've been brutally honest. You know, we've just, we've we've always just kind of worn our heart on our sleeves and told that through our socials. You know, we don't, like Carl says, we don't always get everything right. We make mistakes, but we'll hold our hands up when we make mistakes. And people get to see us warts and all. And then hopefully they can feel there's a connection between them and us. And I also think it has comes down to the first year or so when we cemented kind of our brand was I was working in that restaurant every shift by the house. Carl was working in the kitchen every shift in the kitchen with a wicked bunch of people. And the energy in there, people could feel it. People felt the energy. They knew that we were giving absolutely everything to make sure they had an amazing experience. And the word spread, and the word spread with some brilliant people from Pierre Kaufman came down and loads of fantastic chefs would come down and people would start to feel like it's part of something. They feel part of a community. They feel that Chicken Sours was their place because we'd welcome everyone with open arms. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, you could be part of this fun, energetic community of kind of fried chicken lovers. I felt like that, you know, not to blow smoke at all, but just when I came to see you that time, you know, and it was it was just for nothing. There was no agenda, there was nothing, it was just us 
catching up and I went away and I really remembered it. You know, I went away feeling better than I arrived and that was just through a chat and some food, you know. <laughs> um, you know, like, like, what it is, kind of like, um, you know, both brands, they're human and they're human, obviously human beings and long may that continue, you know. So, you know, for me, that's that's what's important, you know, it's just two guys trying to do their best and, um, and yeah, and care about people, you know, and care about what they do, we want to make people happy, yeah. really, but it's all we want to do, we want to make people happy, you know. And I think it comes down to also caring about our people more than anything, you know, they, there's too much of this word family that's bounded around in hospitality, and it's not, um, it's hard to be a family when there's a, a transactional relationship. So you have to just um, live your values. You have to kind of, you can't just write something down and then act in a different way. You know, you have to um, demonstrate to the people within your business that you actually give a shit about them and you care about them. And I think that's super important. And that's always been so high up on our agenda. And when you do that, you you know, we, we say to our, our teams, like, you get paid to make people happy. That's what you do. And it's not rocket science. You know, and if, as long as that's at the forefront of what we do, then you can create a fantastic energy. And I think, like Carl said, it's about being human. We're a human brand. I posted something on Twitter, I think it was the other day, about I went to the park and there were loads of people out there who were clearly not social distancing. These people going out lately taking the piss. And us to go, right, okay, when we reopen, our first service is going to be for people who worked in the NHS through this time and key workers who have put themselves kind of at risk to help keep this country going. And that's not come from anything other than a personal human want to do something good for these people. And someone responded going, are you sure you've responded from the right Twitter account? I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm like, yeah, we are humans behind this. I thought it was a great response. I think, you, you know, you did it from the heart and I think there's a few brands that that do it the same way you're doing it so Dishoom uh, and uh, Hawksmoor and, and yourself and and it usually is the you know the, the founders that are on there and um, it, you know it is it is good you know I saw a very undishoom tweet the other day which was uh, I think Shamo was getting stuck into a bottle of whiskey <laughs> you know and it was like, okay here we go but again it was just it was quite good just that honesty of going you know right we, we can put out our branded things and our local things and but actually do you know what i'm gonna get stuck into this right now because today i've had enough you know and that's good i think that's well, good. The, exactly it's, it's all about humans we've seen it too many times recently with kind of faceless fast casual or casual faceless casual dining brands that have um, come to the end of their journey and that's because a lot of it is because there's no humans behind it it's just a corporate structure and it's just all about cost 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 Mm. making as much money as possible and then it just transpires that the people who work in the restaurant aren't feeling that so the experience that the guest is having is not one that's is going to make them want to come back. It's just a vicious circle. Yeah, yeah. So what's next for the brands and for you and uh, over the next few months? Uh, for Chicken, we're going to reopen next week, um, Baker Street, for um, so excited for deliver- delivery and takeaway. And then um, we are uh, um, then following on, <coughs> we're going to tidy up Islington, finish off some bits there and reopen um, about two weeks later. 
and then we're going to look at other delivery um, streams in and around London. So we can kind of go out to a broader, broader areas and see, see, see kind of like, you know, reach out to different communities basically and do some recovery over this year. Um, that's really it. You know, if, if a site comes up that's appealing, then yes. Um, but really, I think the focus is recovery and, um, yeah, getting the wheels back turning, you know. I think a couple of years ago when we started going on this, when we got some investment into our business and we were going to grow, it was all about growth, growth, growth. And then we've realised recently that chicken sours, that's not what it's about. Chicken sours isn't something we want to be rolling out to huge numbers and moving away from that personal touch we can we can grow chicken in an amazing way we can take that all over the country we can take that all over the world you know but chicken sours is more is more of a personal thing and we want to keep that as our little baby and really focus on um growing chicken and making chicken sours as amazing as it can be in the few little restaurants that it has and be able to keep it as, yeah be able to keep it as our little kind of test project do whatever we like in there and not have to worry about it i think it's really smart and i think as you say there carl as well like um recoveries the one you know i'm, I'm, I'm yeah. at the moment looking at a, a paper with some other folk some brains in the industry to go right when we're reopening and everyone's getting the green light what do the first 100 days look like we're pre-opening and, and slightly posting I, I think that's got to be the first strategic move which is you know just try and get the people back in your business that visited you, you know, in the last six months to a year before this happened and get back to levels, you know, don't try and boil the ocean. Um, Cause you'll just die trying, you know, I think that's a, a smart move is, you know, just get back to where you were as a, as a one foot on the mountain and then you can, you can sort of do the rest. I'm only saying that cause I'm bored at night and I'm watching these bloody SES programs. Um, thinking about cab sailing and climbing mountains and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, I think there's a certain amount of relearning to do, you know, as well ourselves yeah. and you know, um, you know, we need to learn again and do that at a steady pace and um, get back to where we were. And the customers too, you know, they need to re they're relearning again, relearning how to go out, relearning how to be around people, mm. what it's like to eat and spend money. You know, there's a kind of there's a kind of um, both sides of the fence relationship to recover right and yeah. then get you back to an even keel and um yeah that takes time and patience and um yeah that's a good show so the last couple of things then i was just uh, going to ask and i'll need to let you go because uh, you've got lives to live and all that stuff um so just a fun thing called mark out of 10 which was just to go through a few questions about your your likes so Best city to eat in? Uh, well, I've been everywhere, but um, I quite like um, Chiang Mai in Thailand. Um, it's pretty cool for um, for eating out. Yeah, that's probably one of the coolest oh. places that I've been for eating out. I think we're spoiled for choice in London. I think everywhere you go around the world, you can get some incredible dishes and find some incredible little places. But for choice and for quality of it, and for variety, I think you can't beat London. Yeah. And what about best restaurants? Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to... Do you know what? Like, I think that question is such a such a big question because everyone likes a restaurant for different reasons, right? Yeah. 
you know, you might like a restaurant. It's not really that great, but you've been going there for a long time, you know, and um, there's, there's restaurants that I admire, you know, and think that they're, they're great and go to time and time again. But, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm searching out kind of back, backstreet Chinese most of the time, right? I'm trying to learn and kind of like, you know, and, um, and see what they do. And uh, there are people that, are, you know, I think do great jobs in the city, like, you know, smoking, go kill. I, I can rattle them on for ages, but like, you know, there's so many. Would I say I have, if I was to say in the West End, if I was to really say what my favourite place is, my little safe spot, I would say Koya. Mm. I just kind of like, you know, it just makes me feel good when I leave there, when the I'm one, there. The, one, the one in Soho, not the one in Piccadilly. No, no, the one in Soho, like, you know, it's like, you know, just then, you know, and sometimes I go in there for breakfast, only me there, and she has radio and I love it. And it, it's just like, it's just a nourishing place all of it and i just think it's um yeah she's incredible and she's zen you know and she's uh has lots of humility and um food's incredible right every time and i think yeah if i was to put my hat on it you know there's lots that i love um but where i go to time and time again if i'm in there if there it's, it's quite a quite a bar run yeah exactly. yeah what were you doing oh man it's such a such a i think it's such a hard question it makes you um makes you realize like i said how many amazing restaurants that we do have in london especially i mean even if you just look in soho or if you just look in east london there's just so many um i couldn't put my finger on one i love going to burger and q i love josh's food uh, yeah. i love hoppers i love hoppers I love karen's food um, i'm loving the dumplings the dumpling shack i mean the list just goes on and on but but I would say my happy place is sitting in a bar at Koya when it's nice and quiet, either early in the morning or um, pre-lunch. And yeah, I love it there. Nice. And what's your favourite dish? What's your go-to? Where at Koya? And just oh, any breakfast. Yeah. Oh, my my favourite. Oh, I'm, um, I'm a Brahmi man, so like you know, I love Indian food, right? So you'll often find me in Wembley on a Saturday afternoon, like in the back of shops, eating kind of like Gujarati vegetarian food you know i don't eat a lot of meat these days um if at all um you know now and again uh, so i kind of like what i go to would be kind of like uh, well you know you'll always find me in gold mine in in in, in queensway man and that's really my go-to restaurant in fact you know that's probably my favorite restaurant in london and they just do the best roast duck and dim sum and um and chili oil on the planet so i think for me it's kind of like Three roast meats, Shaolin Bao, <laughs> and uh, uh, with XO. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a happy, happy chappy there, yeah. Nice. And I'm, I'm, I'm just a sucker for Mark Ogus's, um salt beef, uh, Monty's. Just if I go somewhere, if I'm in a food court or whatever, and there's lots of different things there, and I see um, salt beef, I just salt beef, pickles, mustard, oh, just does it for me every time. All day long. And but then, also, I mean, it makes you think even more. I was like, also thinking, like, which took me on to Smokestack. Dave's food over there is incredible. Yeah. I was I was just in Kiev with Dave. Um, oh, wow. Uh, we were doing, doing a speech, so he, he was a great guy. Lovely chap. Yeah, yeah, good chap. Real good. Real good. And then what about best drinks? Alcoholic or uh, non-alcoholic? I, I don't drink. Uh, oh, mine's... Uh, my absinthe colada, a Maison Premier in Brooklyn. 
Well, I, did, well, I did drink, but I don't know. But like, I think mine's um, these days is very much like um, a cup of Barry's tea, right? Irish tea, strong tea. Oh yeah, my, my dad's Northern Irish. He's he's daft for that. I know. Oh, best tea in the world. Suki tea. Uh, there's there's a Belfast brew. Oh, yeah. uh, and apparently that's very good as well. My dad raves about that. He's a real tea Jenny, as you would say. Yeah, yeah he's Irish. I would say. And I do. I do love a Negroni at Bar Termini. The guys there, the way yeah. they do things at Bar Termini is just spot on. Oh, I always say, as it should be. Well, just on the Negroni point, what what's your what's your rules for that? Because I've only just got into them and I feel like I'm maybe not doing it as w- the way that I should be. I think the key to a good Negroni, hey, it's good ice. Yeah. And then just, it's a simple drink. To, I mean, it's so simple. It's the simplicity of it. It's the quality of the ingredients. Yeah. So as long as you've got putting equal measures in. When, when, I, when yeah. I did, I think the best one I ever had, I mean, you've got to ask Jonathan Danny really, right? Any of these questions, he's, he's the man that I know. <laughs> That's the best, true. The best one I ever had was in his place in New York, in Flatiron, was Milk and Honey when Sasha was alive. And um, it was just incredible. And it was exactly what David, it has to be a, it has to be a chipped off cube of ice that fills the glass, clear as crystal. And... The, the, the dilution has to be right and it has to be stirred right and it has to stay the same temperature all the way down the ice so the ice fills the glass it's not cubes of ice it's one yeah and um that's my that's my humble knowledge, right but i'm sure jd you know will tell you whether it should be a slice of orange or an orange twist now there's the question there right right i'm, I'm, I'm going to whatsapp him just in a <laughs> second and ask him see what he says ask him yeah. is it an twist or a slice of orange see what he says well, listen, I'll let you get on with your days. Um, that's been absolutely brilliant to chat to you. And, um, yeah, Pleasure talking to you too. Yeah, yeah thank you for having me. And, uh, yeah, brilliant. And, yeah, just um, keep in touch. And, obviously, anything yeah. I can do to help, give us a wee shout. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up soon. And this will go out maybe uh, maybe sort of June time, something like that, June, July. Yeah, coming up some fried chicken. Yes, I definitely. Yeah, I'm, I was saying the other day I'd lost half a stone, but that was only because I shaved my hair and my beard off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take it easy. Thanks, See you later. Thanks so much to David and Carl for spending such a long time with me today, really talking about life in general, current situation we were in at the time of recording, and also the story of their careers, the brands, their people, and what they're going to be up to next. So really worth watching those pair. I think they'll just do great things and I really, really wish them well. A huge thanks to you for listening. Really appreciate it. If you can, just tell one person more about the show, get them listening, share, rating, reviewing, subscribing. And thanks so much to everyone that writes to me on a daily basis. It really keeps me going and shows that hopefully this is providing some great value for everyone. A huge thanks to Engage Interactive, our headline sponsors for anything that you need digitally. So websites, SEO, PPC, CRM, apps, social, anything like that, please get in touch. Ask for Alex and he and the team will sort you out. Huge thanks also to BDO, our premium partner who've been with us since day one. Drop Peter a line at bdo.co.uk and speak to him and the team about any financial advice or strategy or requirements that you have. They'll be more than happy to help. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby as usual for putting together the podcast. I know it's a big task, so really appreciate everything that you do. 
So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you, thanks for listening, and I really hope today's episode has given you some great value that will really help your brand boom. Boom.